Welcome to the People Around Town Community Podcast. Some time ago, I sat down with this beautiful, beautiful friend of mine, and we had a great conversation, and I need to share it with you, as I promised. So, um, I hope you enjoy this conversation with me and Tracy. (laughs) I'm with Tracy, and Tracy, where are we right now? We are on our back deck in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, and um, it's sort of um, late afternoon, and uh, we're surrounded by beautiful uh, birds and cactus and the trees, and there's a light breeze, and we're just enjoying the day. It's really a beautiful day. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Very, very beautiful. Can you tell me, why did you decide to move down here to Los Cabos? Well, the interesting thing is that um, my husband Peter and I got married six months before we actually moved here. And both of us, uh, it's our second marriage for both of us, and, and sadly enough, both of us lost our spouses to cancer. And we had a uh, we had a another go at life, and um, we both decided to retire the same month in the year 2011, and we absolutely rode off into the sunset into Cabo. We drove down here. Uh, it was a, a beautiful plan. Uh, we were a little apprehensive. But now that we're here, we knew that that was the right decision. And they often say, bloom where you're planted. So we were planted here, and then we began to bloom. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And the reason why uh, we picked it, it was actually Peter who did a lot of research. And he found out that the weather is uh, usually nice. It is safe, contrary to popular belief. We had a good... Um, hospitals, uh, good medical system, and um, everything you could possibly need is out here. Beautiful culture, beautiful beaches, the water is warm, the water is beautiful and inviting. I like kayaking and swimming, and uh, we've been out here for 10 years now, and I have to say the last two years have absolutely been the most joyous because we've developed new friendships is that because you met me two years ago i mean i'm I, just wondering uh, you know what paul <laughs> i kidding. think that that might <laughs> that may have been the kickoff to the wonderful life we've been having yeah. absolutely and uh yeah and then we've just been living the dream enjoying our friendships and life and and really learning about the Mexican culture. And we have really changed our way of thinking. And I find the Mexican culture so beautiful. Uh, They don't really have an urgency to really be on time with things, which tends to uh, rather irritate North Americans, uh, Canadians and Americans, but 
it's um everything is just it'll be done and it's always done with a smile and um and there's um happiness with whomever we encounter they're just smiley and laughy and happy and even the people here who have less than what we're used to seem to be happier <laughs> than most of the expats that come down here so uh, would you rather have something be done on time or with a smile i i would have to say with a smile <laughs> and i would have to say unless it's an emergency situation with your health and then i think time is of the essence okay. <laughs> but other than that absolutely like k pasa just you know whenever it'll get done and it's more relaxed and you just know that it will get done yeah mm -hmm. and you are from canada mm -hmm. yes what did you do during your career years in canada well I, it's so funny because, you know, I, I started off um, really wanting to work and uh, at 15 I got a job um, as an usherette at the Famous Players Capital Theatre. And then from there I worked at um, a department store called Eaton's and I thoroughly enjoyed that while I was um, taking a few courses going to school. And then my parents really didn't have the money to help me out education-wise. So I ended up selling cars. And in the 70s, I was probably one of the first women in, in Winnipeg to sell cars because they wanted a pioneer token woman because they found that other women um, really liked to buy from women. So I, I sold cars and I made enough uh, to pay for my education, to go to university, and I became a teacher. And from then on, um, while I was teaching... Teaching what? Well, I taught um, elementary school. I taught junior high and high school, high school religion. And I taught, uh, I was a reading recovery teacher, and I was a special needs teacher. So within the 30 years, I encompassed um, uh, just different, different directions in, in my teaching career. And I found actually the most rewarding class I ever taught was world religions. Really? Why is that? And in the world religions, uh, um, I had been given all these texts and, and they said, try to highlight um, Taoist and uh, um, Hindu, Hebrew, uh, Jewish religions, Catholic, United, Lutheran, Latter-day Saints, Mormons. And I thought, I can't possibly go through all this material and teach this and, and feel like I'm uh, worthy of teaching this session with this just being sort of thrown at me. So what I did was um, I got a hold of a lot of the uh, people in these religions, such as the Latter-day Saints and the, the, the 
rabbi in the synagogue and a Catholic priest and uh, and we had them as guest speakers and we also had um, Aboriginal elders too talking about their great spirit Manitou and uh, some of the practices and some of the higher powers and when I did this I became so interested in how as a world we are so connected spiritually uh, with one another in this. Uh, it, it was just absolutely amazing how... How, how did you see those connections in the different religions? Well, you know, there is a lot of uh, religions that love the practice of ritual. And uh, like the Yananamo tribe in um, New Zealand, how they had their... Um, they had taken their... Uh, it was a type of a peyote or some sort of a hallucinogen where they would go into dream states and they would get into sort of a higher power and um, and this would help them function as a community. In the North American Aboriginal um, Indigenous in Canada, um, I got in touch with um, elders and pipe carriers and I was introduced to sweat lodges and uh, having beautiful smudging ceremonies where yeah. we cleansed certain uh, areas. Did with... you bring any of those smudges into your classroom? I did. As a matter of fact, what we had is we had a um, we had an actual. We got permission from the fire department to have an authentic traditional fire a blessing outside of our schoolyard wow. and what we did is we had permission to take the sprinkler system off of one area with everybody around with you know with the fire extinguishers and we had smudging within the classroom with the sweet grass and that type of uh and sage and um cedar and tobacco and we talked about smudging ourselves, healing our, um, first of all, healing our thoughts and into our, into our throats so that we could speak the truth and then smudging to our hearts so that we can feel the truth and all the way down so that we can have empathy for everybody. And this was something that, that we had learned. And in the classroom, I had a sharing circle where we took a little stone and this was very very interesting because some of the children I taught in inner city and some of the children were transient and uh, they were just there for a short time making friends and then the next thing you knew that sometimes they would be off to a foster home or their parents would quickly move so what we did was we had like a little ceremony for them and we and uh, I selected ten stones, and I said, pick any of these ten stones, anything that speaks to you, and whenever you touch this, we will be here with you, and take it wherever you go. If you're frightened or sad, and everybody that you met in our classroom will be with you, and then we did a. And your kids have those stones. The kids took the stones, they felt good. Some of their parents were invited. 
their parents were overcome with emotion. There were some emotional moments. And then it's funny how the children sensed that because they didn't like their classmates leaving. So what they would do is they would gather around in a circle and we would actually sing a Hebrew song, Shalom, my friend. And we would sing this chant around them and then move in with our hands, holding hands in the circle, moving out, and then finally embracing them and hugging them, all of their best friends. How old were these kids? Oh, we started off in kindergarten. Okay. They were five and six. You were teaching religion? And I taught, I, I brought that into the classroom too. I taught high school religion and I brought it into absolutely every class that I had. Some of I these had. rituals. Some of these rituals, awesome. yes. And ironically, I started off as a Catholic school teacher. <laughs> wow. Was there ever any problem with that? Um, I never, ever encountered a problem with that. And um, maybe because I retired in 2011, maybe now that there would have been a, a, a bit of a problem with that. Um, I actually, um, I had, well, actually, I did have one problem. I had, um, when I was teaching in um, Scriber, Ontario, in a Catholic school, I had some of my um, indigenous children from a reserve bust in. And uh, they were from a dry reserve and they were absolutely beautiful people. And I, I had spoken to some of the parents and some of the parents had said that if you would have met us 10 years ago, you would have seen addictions, um, theft, um, incarceration, um, just, it, they said it was just terrible. And they said that a bear clan came in from the States actually, and they had a 10 year commitment to live with them and show them the heartbeat, the way of the drum. And what they would do, and these people that had the addictions, they just didn't have counseling because they felt that counseling was a band-aid and a one-time effort. They became a surrogate family and they lived with them and uh, they stayed with them and lived with them for 10 years and slowly their addictions faded and anytime somebody would be upset in the middle of the night or, or uh, wanting to um, fall back on their drugs or alcohol they would go to the elder and the elder would wake up whatever time of the night it was and say time to go to the drum and they would go to the drum hmm. and have a drum ceremony and they said it was the heartbeat just to get your soul back and just to get yourself um, in touch with the beat of the drum the heartbeat of the earth and then they would have a little smudging and bless this person and this person would go back to bed they said that this happened for 10 years until the addiction faded and then these people who were addicted who had children, uh, some of whom were fetal alcohol from from um, some of the addictions. These children that you were in your classrooms? That's right. Okay. And these children were very, very happy that I was invited to their reserve. And, um, and, and they invited me to their sweats and 
They invited me to be the judge at their air band competitions and their <laughs> Christmas tree competitions to wow. be one of the judges for it. And they presented me with um, uh, a wrapped bannock and I even had some cloth covered hangers as a present to be a judge. I, I, I still have them to this day. And um, I felt at one with these people and uh, I felt that these people were my people and they, they had such an influence on me that I still do smudging and I have my sweet grass and sage and tobacco and even when my own father passed I wanted to have a sharing circle and I didn't do the authentic religious service my sister and I did an Aboriginal healing circle around his gravesite, passing the stone around and talking and giving him blessings and that type of thing. And I just knew that's what he wanted and he was happy. And we felt really, really whole with that, having a Catholic background and then ending up having a sacred religious ceremony. Yeah. So an indigenous one. So. And you found connection through all these, all these avenues of beliefs and and tradition well, and ritual. This is it, and I found throughout the throughout the world that everybody had some sort of um, a ritual that uh, made the process um, right with the people who have passed on, or any type of coming of age, like you know in Mexico, the Day of the Dead honoring the children who died on, on November 1st and also November 2nd for the adults and and actually putting up a shrine and sitting with them all night at their graveside, honoring their souls, honoring what they loved, like their food, uh, their music, their, their literature. Um, just sitting around the grave sites, I thought that was so absolutely wonderful yeah. and they do that every year and they do that every year and you said you came across just one problem that came to mind oh my one problem and my one problem was this in the Catholic school system they wanted me to have an authentic Christmas concert and 90% of my children came from the reserve and they oh. they didn't really quite get that so what I did is I wrote a play for them and it was called the boy who lost his totem and I created a play for everybody in the class and I included all of their traditional beliefs and uh, and their totem and everything that they knew and they were taught and I said this will be in lieu of our Christian Christmas concert so we had the totems and we had the drumming and the children had learned from their parents so they wanted to do the drumming so I said absolutely let's include this in the play so one day um, they came they drove on the bus 45 minutes on the bus to come to school and they had taken the sacred huge drum that they had for the ceremony and they took it into the classroom and I just thought how nice so <laughs> I 
so what I did is I just moved the desks around the classroom and made room for this huge sacred drum in the middle of the floor. And I said, okay, you practice these songs and you just tell me which ones you're going to do for the play and I'll time it because, and we'll see how long that fits and everything. They were thrilled. All the children were thrilled. And as they were doing that, I had a knock on the door and the principal was there with um, a lot of the people from the reserve and the elders and their parents. They didn't know the drum was taken. <laughs> <laughs> they looked concerned and horrified. And uh, uh, I said, yes. And they said, this drum was taken without our permission. It's sacred. It needs a special cover. And before it's moved, it needs a special blessing. And they took the drum on the school bus and then they, <laughs> <laughs> and they checked it out to see if it was damaged. And luckily for me and the kids, it was in good shape. It was fine. And they came in and they had the cloth and they quickly did a ceremony to undo whatever damage was done <laughs> in the transition. <laughs> And that was a really good learning experience for me yeah. and the kids. Yeah. And then when they saw how the kids were so disappointed and they saw how the kids really, really loved the drumming and how shocked I was at, uh, at how this came to be, um, they sort of took a bit of a breath and then they went out and they went to the gym and they had like a little meeting for about 10 minutes and we moved the desks back and we were all kind of contrite and sort of quiet and then they came back after 10 minutes and they said this means so much to our children you can have the drum we will take the drum for the christmas concert you can practice on a small drum and you can have the big drum because that's what the drum is for and the kids were happy and they cheered. Uh, my heart stopped beating frantically. I felt a little bit more calm. And we had our Christmas concert with the boy who lost the totem with the beautiful drum. And uh, it was magical. The play was beautiful. The kids were happy. It was magical. That's awesome. Yeah. How old were these kids? Uh, they they were in third grade, okay. so they were eight, eight turning nine. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I totally did, forgot about that. That's awesome. <laughs> did you teach in a Catholic school the, your whole teaching career? No. No, that was just at the beginning. That that was in the beginning. Well, actually, that was. For the lion's share in the last 10 years I taught in a public school okay yeah did you get to teach religion in a public school too was uh, that well, part of it or I, I did uh, you know I did have um, one very very um, horrific experience um, um, actually with with a nun I don't know if I should say this or not but uh, this is, uh, you can delete it if you want later on yeah. but one of the reasons why I went to to Scriber, Ontario, and you might delete that name too, but one of the reasons why I went to uh, Northwestern Ontario, I felt it was a calling for me because um, there was a nun there who happened to be a principal 
and she was from a residential school and she was um, a very, very uh, racist, nasty person who did not like these children from the reserve and she was very, very hard on them. And um, I felt that she was hard on me too because I was a new single teacher and she treated me kind of like the kids. I didn't have a family around or a support system. So she did a lot of, she had a lot of bullying techniques, but she didn't realize that I was a strong, um, self-adjusted person. And I had a good background with good friends. So I was able to, um, I was able to meet her at, at, the level where she was at. And you had a sense of purpose, it and sounds I, like. I had a sense of purpose. That's right, Paul. And you have a sense of purpose. And I have a sense of purpose, yes. So anyway, what had happened was, there was the, the first incident, was there was one little boy, and she wouldn't let them into uh, the schools. So 45 minutes, the school bus would drive them there early, and they were freezing, locked out in 40 below, and she would call them savages and they're used to the cold weather and she wouldn't let them in the school to warm up. Luckily, I had a special needs trailer in the back that was heated. So I let them all into my trailer to warm up until the school bell rang and then they could line up and, and, uh, and get into the classroom. And then I thought to myself, this is not going to be good. I'm just going to watch and see what she does because this is not a good situation. Yeah. So uh, there was one little boy and he had under his nose, he had, it, it looked like it was um, all crusty and sort of infected. And I know what uh, impentago looks like. And then I said to, to the nun, I won't say her name, uh, I said, um, our, our little boy here has, um, it looks like it's in Pentego and I should notify the parents. And she said, they're just filthy savages. And she said, it's nothing but dirt. And that's when I knew that I had to do something. So I phoned the director and I told the director and he said, isn't that funny? Because we can't fire the religious. Uh, especially nuns. They have to take a, a vow of obedience. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, move her into our board office and she's going to file papers for me and I'm going to bring in another administrator. And he said, I won't say anything uh, uh, immediately because um, I just, I just want it to be sort of like an, um, sort of an inter-office type of movement. And I said, beautiful. And then she escalated and got worse. And then she called me into her office and she said, I have to ask you a question. Why are you insulting God? And I said, insulting God, how so? You wear makeup to school. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, sister, blank, blank, why is it that you have a perm underneath your veil? And I said, you're also insulting God. <laughs> and she, 
screamed at me, insubordination, insubordination, I am reporting you. And I, <laughs> and I said, good luck with that. And I left her office, and it was shortly thereafter that she was in the board office filing documents for the, the Catholic Board of Directors. Okay. So I am not bringing up any names, and um, <laughs> I don't want to bring up years or times. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was a big one. And, you know, frankly, I totally forgot about it until you said a bad experience. And then I just thought about the drum, but, I mean, this yeah. was a real bad The drum one. ended up being pretty awesome. The drum was an awesome experience. That's yes, really it cool. was. It was cool, yeah. Have you always had a sense of purpose in your life? Um, I don't think I did. How did you find that? Um, I, I think it's through age. Personally, I, um, uh, you know, you go through all the growing pains of everything and, uh, you know, um, finding your sense and your, your way. And, uh, and it wasn't until I had these experiences in uh, the Catholic school and being away from friends and family where you had a lot of reflection and you had to rely on your gut instinct and, and your sense of purpose, what was right and wrong. And then I realized I got strength through this and I thought, I can do this independently on my own and I can continue on this type of journey. And uh, if there's an underdog out there, I will go out and I will help them if I can, if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Tracy, the underdog go helper. <laughs> the underdog helper. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. I can see that. <laughs> Tracy, what brings you joy in your life? Well, absolutely everything. I am so happy to have a loving husband, loving friends. Paul, you're part of that. <laughs> a loving family. And I love uh, nature, animals, plants. I love the sea. Um, I love everything that's, that's alive and well. And, uh, and I, I try to uh, bring in positivity into my life and, and just enjoy everything. I wake up every day grateful. And I just almost feel guilty of how lucky I am and, and how much abundance that we have. And um, I really feel that we <clears throat> have enough, even too much. And uh, so it's nice to get out there and, uh, and, and share when I can. Like sometimes I'll just buy a bag of palettas, like little, little lollipops and take them out to the marina. And these poor people out there are schlepping away trying to make a living and and everybody is saying no thank you no thank you with their little wares or they want to get fishing excursions or they want you involved and they're receiving repeated rejection over and over yeah so a little lollipop will break their zone and they will just say thank you and the smile that comes across their face I honestly have not 
had one person that refused a little lollipop with a smile. Not <laughs> one person. Yeah. And then it breaks their zone and then they are affirmed rather than receiving the no, no, no. And also the poor tourists coming to want to have a good time are, are just absolute getting pounced upon. And nobody's happy in this, this whole walk of, of tourism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tracy, you bring a lot of happiness to the people who know you and the people who are around you. Oh, thank you. So. And as do you, Paul, <laughs> as do you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have so much more in your life that, that uh, you can share. Even these few experiences are awesome to hear. Oh, thank you. So there's going to have to be an episode two and oh. three <laughs> to Tracy. <laughs> I, well, I am very flattered. If, if you, you know, if you would like to hear more, you know how I love to talk. <laughs> that I would be very, very honored and very, very flattered. And I thank you very much, Paul. Okay. Thank okay. you, Tracy. Okay. That's it for this episode of the People Around Town Community Podcast. I hope to be bringing more of these conversations to you, sharing more of the beautiful people around us, and sharing more about the beautiful lives that people are living every day. Signing out, this is Paul Cropper, your host, hoping you're having a beautiful day.